0: Okay, last time we had, so, so, so we were going over the, uh, the life of Jesus, the, in, in the chronological life of Jesus we've been going through, and uh, what we do, is, so that you can recall, is we take the Gospel according to Luke, and we use that as our outline, as our template, because that is the only one of the four Gospels that is written chronologically, and then we take an instance from that, and we may look at the other Gospels, because the other Gospels may have taken something that's just briefly mentioned in Luke, and expanded upon it. Or, there are places that Luke doesn't ever say that he, he records everything, but he just says that what I have recorded is in chronological order. He tells us that in the beginning of his Gospel. And so there are some places where he doesn't record something, but they obviously fit in. Now, this is not Jim Tours' chronology of the life of Jesus. This is actually A.T. Robertson's. And so he, he was a scholar that pulled this together, and many scholars have used this over, a, over the years. And he wrote this, this uh, uh, harmony of the Gospels, where he has all the different Gospels put side by side according to the portion, so it's easy to look at and easy to study, and it's in this this chronological pattern. So last week, we finished up on talking about the uh, different parables, and the parables are noted in, in, uh, actually, in in, um, uh, in three of the Gospels, these parables are noted. And let me just give you a one-sentence summary for each one of the parables. There were nine parables, again, not... It's kind of hard to count exactly how many parables there were because some people put two of the different things together. And, but in any case, I counted nine and, and, and uh, following A.T. Robertson's uh, outline there. So let me give you a one-sentence summary. But as you recall, we, this is a long day. We are still in this same day. In this day, Jesus healed a man who, was, who, who had a demon, but he was also couldn't speak. He was a, a mute Demon-possessed man. The Jews said that only Messiah would be able to heal such a person. Jesus came along, healed him. They had to rationalize this. The crowd started saying, is this indeed the Messiah? Because he taught us that only Messiah would be able to do this. And the Jewish leaders said the only reason he was able to do that is because he himself, Jesus himself, is filled with a demon. Not just any old demon, but the prince of all demons, Beelzebul. So they had to come up with some rationale how he could do this. And because of that, Jesus proclaimed upon them the unpardonable sin. That is not a sin that we could ever commit today, because that was a sin coming against the Messiah when he was physically present and saying that he was demon-possessed. He proclaimed upon them the unpardonable sin, and he started then teaching differently. The ministry of silence began all on that same day. The ministry of silence means that he spoke only clearly to the disciples, no more to the Jewish masses, never again. He spoke only in parables. We read that it says in multiple Gospels from that day he started speaking only in parables. It was a shock to his disciples. He only spoke in parables from that day onward, but he would in private speak to them and tell them what those parables meant because he said, it's for you, my disciples, to understand, no longer for the masses. To them, they're going to hear and not understand. You will understand, and the things that you don't, I'll clarify for you in, in private. He also talked about the proclamation, how there would be family changes. How the body of believers will mean more to you than your blood family. He talked about how no longer this would come through blood descendancy from Abraham, but through something different, through a relationship with God. All of this he proclaimed on that day. So it was a long day. Then he spoke these nine parables telling what the new kingdom would be like. He himself described this as the mystery kingdom. Jesus himself called this, as we looked at last time, called this the mystery kingdom. Uh, the epistles numerous times calls this the mystery kingdom, meaning something that was not spoken of in the Old Testament, only revealed in the New Testament. And the revelation came because of the decline because of, uh, of the proclamation of the Jews that he was demon-possessed, Jesus then proclaimed upon them the unpardonable sin, and then, not just the church, but Christendom is this new mystery kingdom. It is broader than the church. Church is part, the church is part of Christendom. Within Christendom, there are believers and unbelievers in Christendom. People who name the name of Christ are not all saved. And that's the only way you can read these, these uh Uh, parables as we went over in detail last time, but here's the one sentence summary. The first parable was the parable of the sower. The sowing of the gospel seed throughout the age with differing responses. That's what there would be. The second was the seed growing of itself. It has an inherent inner energy to spring up and grow that is inexplicable. And this is what what I talked about last time, which to me is the most amazing thing about this mystery kingdom. I go in, I talk about... Jesus died for your sins, He was buried, and He was raised from the dead, and people get saved. I mean, just this simple message. It never changes. It never loses its power. And if we try to philosophize around it and, and think, well, I'm not going to talk about the resurrection because that's kind of confusing, that's a big mistake. You speak about the death for your sins, the burial and the resurrection, and people will get saved. It happens all the time. I see it all the time. That is the inexplicable thing in the Mystery Kingdom. The man planted the seed, he went to bed, he woke up, and it's growing. And he, how it happened, I, he didn't know. This is exactly what happens in the Mystery Kingdom. The tares, The third one, the tears. In other words, the true sowing will have a false counter-sowing by Satan himself. And that is evident as the plants mature. You can tell the ones that are true from the ones that are not. The fourth one is the mustard seed. The Mystery Kingdom will assume massive proportions... And and uh, uh, these it, it will become so massive, it will be filled even by ungodly agents. And you see that within Christendom. The leaven, the kingdom will be marked by doctrinal corruption. Three doctrinal corruptions in the three branches. Um, the, the hid treasure, a remnant of, of, is, of Israel will be drawn in. That's the hidden treasure. The pearl, that's the Gentile believers that will come in. So the new kingdom is going to have both Jews and Gentiles in it. The net, the dragnet, the age will come when the judgment will come and the Gentiles will be brought in and they will throw away the ones that are not believers and keep the ones that are believers. And the ninth one was the householder, meaning that he who understands the Old Testament will have a greater breadth of understanding uh, uh, of both the old and the new. Okay, so let's move on into the next portion and we're going to read this particular portion. It's certainly noted in Luke, tells us this is the next thing that happens. But let's read it in Mark, because Mark is a bit more, more clear on this. He, he expands more on it. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. So after he speaks to the masses, <clears throat> tells these parables, he goes and he explains privately to his disciples, this is all the same day. He then gets into a boat and goes across. And Mark 4.35 it says, On the same day. What day? The same day that all this has occurred. A very busy day. Sometimes referred to by scholars as the busy day. Uh, On the same day, Mark 4.35, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. Other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you fearful? And why is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So... This is the portion. Now, now, what's interesting here, he says in 435, on the same day when evening had come. So, it's been a busy day. Evening is now coming. So, it's about 6 p.m. Evening is coming. And they go out into the Sea of Galilee to go to the other side. Now, what is known, even today in the Sea of Galilee, you, when you go there, you will see these high mountains on the north. Those are the Golan Heights. You see these high mountains that, that are on the east side, those are now, that, that's uh, Jordanian territory now, very high mountains, and these rolling hills on the east side. So the whole northern portion of the Sea of Galilee is two mountain ranges on, on, on two of the sides. Another side is, is uh, rolling hills. And these windstorms can just come right down the mountains very quickly, very suddenly, even to this day. I mean, the geography is still the same. It's the sea, same Sea of Galilee is there. And, Today, you will find Israeli police boats in the water there so that when one of these windstorms, is totally unpredictable, comes down, they are there and they will go out in these bigger boats and bring in a lot of these pleasure boaters that are out there and guide them in because these can come on quite suddenly. That's apparently what came upon them at this time. Now remember, several of these men, uh, uh, like Peter, like Andrew, were fishermen. Not all of them were fishermen, not all of these twelve, about four or five of them were fishermen. And so they understood the water. Fishermen really understand the water. It is different being with fishermen that go out every day in the water than being with pleasure boaters. These uh, fishermen really knew what they were doing. And they go out and it says that that, uh, on the same day when evening had come... <clears throat> he said, let's cross to the other side. Now when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boats as he was, and other little boats were with him. That's because these boats only took about four, maybe five people. So you'd need about, generally, three boats to bring across Jesus and the twelve. About three boats. Maybe there were four boats. All we know that there were other boats with him. So there was, was more than one other boat with him. So there were at least three Three to infinity. We don't know. Three to to whatever the number is. Uh, But we know that he left the multitude. So this is now training for the disciples. So what Jesus is doing, remember, now everything he's doing is training of the disciples. No longer teaching for the masses. He's done. He's teaching the disciples for what's going to come. This is the twelve. This is what he's teaching. Now sometimes they'll have a little bit larger group, but in general it's just straight teaching to the disciples, not the masses anymore. Everything He does now is going to be an object lesson of instruction for them. Who says for them to go out? I mean, maybe they were just going out on their own and storming out, and look, they got caught in a storm. Well, they got what they deserved for not obeying, right? No. Who told them to go into the water? Jesus. Jesus is the one who said... He said to them, verse 35, Let us cross over to the other side. Their mission was to go to the other side. What's on the other side? Gentile territory. It is Gentile territory today. It is Jordan. At that time it was also Gentile territory. He said, let's go to the other side. Jesus was the one that had them embark. Just because you have a rough time in your life, sometimes rough times come upon us because of our own sin, and other times you're minding your own business following the Lord, and rough times come. So just because you have a rough experience doesn't mean that somehow you were disobeying God. They were very much obeying God. Jesus was the one who told them, let's go to the other side. You think, well, if you really knew what he was doing, he would have known that storm was coming and he wouldn't have set out. He says, now when he left the mul- they left the multitude, other little boats uh, uh, were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now, not everybody has a pleasure boat. People didn't have pleasure boats. These were fishermen. They knew about the water. But the winds got so rough, it says that the boats were filling. So in other words, water was going over the sides faster than they could scoop it out. He, in verse 38, but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Lord, don't you care what's happening in my life? What are you there, sleeping? Don't you see what's happening to me? I mean, have you ever had this feeling that things are going on and you wonder, God, what, what's going on? Are you busy? <laughs> with, with, uh, as Tevya used to say, and, and he used to say, I know you're busy with famines and, and, and earthquakes, and, <laughs> but if you could just look upon this one thing. So, so you get this image that maybe God is busy. He says, but he says, you're in the stern asleep. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Remember, these are not people like us that, you know, push a pencil or, you know, play a piano for a living. These are, these are tough guys. They have boats. I mean, they, they, their hands are rough and they're strong. They understand the water. And it's, it's kind of a shameful thing for a fisherman, even today, to get on the radio and say, mayday, 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 Coast Guard, come and get me. I mean, because you think you can handle it. I'm sure in that day, too. And plus, you're trying to impress the teacher, impress the master. You know, this is your occupation. You can't even get to the other side and you're a fisherman. So this is kind of embarrassing. You are like, you don't want to wake them up and have them see what a hard time you're having. Because this is your occupation. But they were so scared that they really thought that they were going to die. So it got so rough, and sometimes it gets so rough out there that fishermen will get on the horn and call for May Day and call, you know, Brian in the helicopter to come and pick him up. Because it gets that bad. But you know it had to be really bad if professional fishermen are going to be calling for help. From a guy who himself is not even a fisherman. He's a carpenter. And so they wake him up and they say, don't you care? Do you not care that we are perishing? So in their own minds, they really thought they were going to die. This is no joke. This is not just like, well, we're getting kind of seasick out here. Maybe you could, you could, you could do something. They didn't know that he could calm the weather. They had no idea. He had never done it before. Now his miracles are going to change. Before he was healing people. He did that one initial thing where he turned the water into wine, and after that we see lots of healings going on. They had no idea that he could calm the weather. We know that they had no idea because that when he did it, they were like, whoa, who is this that can calm the weather? Had they thought he could do it, they wouldn't have been surprised. They would be like, ah, he does that all the time. <laughs> no, they had no idea. They had no idea what was going to happen. They really thought that they were going to die. So much so that they said, don't you even care? Don't you even care that we're perishing? It says, then he arose, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? That word fearful is cowardly. Why are you so cowardly? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. That word in Greek is not the cowardly word. That is the reverent fear. The fear and awe. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, they had no idea he could do this. This is a new type of miracle. He is showing them. He could well have told them as they're going across. He could well have said, Look guys, I just want you to know... I can calm the weather if I wanted to. If there were a storm, I could, I, could, I could just tell it to stop. He could have told them that. Maybe they'd have believed him, maybe not. But he had them experience it. God could tell us. God could head off all sorts of problems in our lives. But God allows problems to come on us so that when we get deliverance, we're like, Lord, you can really, really do this. I mean, this isn't just you telling me you can do this. You did this in my life. And so what the Christian life is, it is a series of one trial after another and God delivering from one trial after another, after another, after another, so that when you become older, you're like, I have seen God do this for me tons of times before. He will do it again. My God will take care of me. My God will take care of me. Because He was teaching them that they could utterly depend upon Him for their lives. And they would need that when the trials would come. They were going to need that. Now, some of them died early on, like James died early on. Others of them never had to die. John never had to die. He was persecuted for his faith. He was banished to an island, uh, uh, but he never had to die. It was only the other ones had to die. Everyone that fled from him at the cross had to die for themselves to see that they were willing to die for him. John was the only one who was there at the cross. He fled, but he came back. Remember, he was there with the Marys that were there. And uh, 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 so he was the one that never had to die, because he had already proved his allegiance to Jesus. He knew in himself he had done that. But you see that they could utterly depend upon him. He demonstrated that to them. When they lived through this, they were far more confident about their ability to sustain them than they would have been had they not seen this. And it was a miracle that, you know, he calmed the weather, but now it says, I mean, there's another miracle. It says, he says, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I mean, so great that poof, the, the water just turned like glass, totally flat, a great calm. It wasn't like, you know, over a period of 30 minutes, it just kind of, you know, the things kind of calmed down. No, it just turned like glass. So much so, they probably had to row to the other side because there was no wind. It was such a great calm. You know, with a sailboat, if there's no wind, you're rolling. It was a great calm. So it was just from water filling the boats to just perfect, glass-like water. It was a great calm. And they're like, huh? I mean, wind doesn't just stop like that. Yes, storms come and they go, but it doesn't just, in an instant, just stop nanosecond, boom, it's different. And then he says to them, why are you so afraid? Why are you so cowardly? Uh, Because we thought we were going to die. How is that for a reason? And it says, then they began to fear him. And when the wind and the sea obeys him. You know, Shireen and I have been through so many things together. It's just so amazing when things come at us that we'll say together. The Lord has seen us through. He'll see us through this one again. I mean, just even early on in our marriage, things would occur. I remember the the first year we got married, we went back to, to over Christmas to visit her brother. We we, we got married. We moved out to, to Indiana, and then we drove back for Christmas, and and uh, we all went out Christmas caroling together. And so, you, you know, we were doing the right thing. We weren't sinning or anything. Well, Christmas Caroling and we came back and then her brother was and her sister in law were going over to someone else's house for a party and we were staying in their home. And and so it was much later than I'm used to and, and uh uh I went to bed and then Shereen woke me up. She says, You know, um, the the toilet is clogged and water's running over and I said, Oh, did, did you shut it right behind the tank? She says, How do you shut it? and I, uh-oh. So I went out there, and there's just water everywhere. So I shut it behind the tank and shut off the water. We're cleaning up the water. And, and, and uh, you know, it, it, it's toilet water, so it's not the cleanest water. But you're cleaning it up. You're in somebody else's home, and you're thinking, wow, i really trashed their home. I hope we can get this cleaned up before they come back. As we're cleaning it up, I'm thinking, well, we're on the upper floor. I wonder if anything's gone through. So she's continuing to clean, and I go downstairs, and I see a stream of water coming from the cabinets in the kitchen, hitting the kitchen counter and then going down. So I open up the cabinets and the plates are all covered with this water. Like, we destroyed their home! And so I'm cleaning and she's cleaning and we're washing these dishes and we're cleaning and, and, and you know, the water is just streaming down. So as we're cleaning now in the kitchen, I'm thinking... They just finished their basement (laughs) and they go down to the basement and they see this stream of water coming from the ceiling onto the ground it's not just a drip it's a stream and and they had gotten this blown ceiling they finished out the basement there was this blown ceiling on the basement and the ceiling had split and it was hanging down about eight inches a big sheet of this blown ceiling was hanging down and I'm thinking we just, we just should just leave. Just disappear. <laughs> so Shireen's cleaning, and I'm putting a bucket there. I'm saying, that's the basement. There's nothing under here. <laughs> we get a bucket, and we're cleaning this up. And Shireen and I got together. We got on our knees, and we just prayed, God, help us. We've destroyed this home. Lord, help us get this cleaned up. And it's like 2 a.m., and they're still not back. And I, the ceiling was still hanging down, and I thought, let me just try this. And so I pushed the ceiling back up and it stuck. You know, because it was kind of damp and it was a blown ceiling and it was just damp and it stuck up there. You could just barely see a crack down the middle. And uh, so, they came, so they came home and we were just finishing up in the kitchen. We, say, we said to them, you, you know, the toilet overflowed upstairs and uh, we cleaned it all up and some dripped drip through but we, we cleaned that. And uh, my sister-in-law said, oh, once once uh, um, Shereen's brother was taking a shower and he didn't have this curtain right and water came through, don't worry about it. And I'm thinking, you don't know how much water, but if she said don't worry about it, I'm not going to worry about it. I figured, why worry about the basement either? I'm not going to worry about anything. Every year, we would go back to their home and I would go to the basement. And I would look at the ceiling and I'd see this, hairline cracked. You could never see it unless you were looking. And that thing just stayed up there. It was stuck. And 10 years later, they sold the home. Nothing ever happened. They said, do you ever have any water damage? <laughs> no, their basement's been fine. You know, God really delivered us. This was a very simple thing. It wasn't life and death. But God took us through this experience. you You would think that if we were doing a good thing out Christmas caroling and witnessing, we should be able to come home and go to bed, and he'd take care of everything. But he taught us a lesson that I'll sustain you, yeah, you were doing the right thing, but troubles come in life you know there's there's been other times where where one day I, I dropped Shereen and the kids off in Syracuse, and I had to drive to New York City from syracuse, and there's this bad road eighty one it is always icy and car accidents all across there. And I was driving down, I was doing about 50 miles an hour, there was a lot of snow on the roads and and I was going and, and there were cars behind me and cars in front of me and the car started swerving and I wasn't doing anything and all of a sudden it started going sideways down the highway. Cars behind me, cars in front of me and I'm going sideways. And there's a verse in in Psalm 12, verse in in Proverbs 18.10, Proverbs 18.10 that I've long memorized. And I go through it with my children. Proverbs 18.10 says, "The the The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Those who run into it will be safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Those who run into it will be safe. So I've taught my children, when you're in big trouble, you say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Those who run into it will be safe. You say, Jesus, help me. You call on the name of the Lord, and He will be there. I'm going sideways down the highway. Car's coming right at me. And I said, Jesus, help me. And the car went, poof! I didn't do anything. And the car just turned straight and started going straight down the road. And I got off the next exit, and I fell on my knees. And I said, Lord, you show me how you could sustain me. I mean, I didn't hit a guardrail, nothing. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. That was a life and death situation. That was definitely life and death. I called on the name of the Lord and He delivered me. We have been through many other things as a family. Many other hardships. Many other things with the kids. And when these things come up, <clears throat> Shereen and I say almost in unison, the Lord will see us through this one too. This is what He took them through. This was an instance where they thought they were perishing. They called on the name of the Lord and their initial feeling was, God, don't you even care? Don't you even care that we are perishing? That is the feeling that sometimes we get. that that, that uh, This feeling that maybe He doesn't even care about us. It is a lesson. It is training time. He is preparing you for something much greater. There are times when you will experience death in the sense that someone you love, someone very dear to you, will die. Someone that's very dear to you will perish. This will make you all the stronger. Thank you. This will make you all the stronger. When you when you go through something like this, this is the preparation. This is exactly what He did with His disciples. And now we will experience, as we go through the rest of Jesus' life, He's a little more than a third of the way, He's between a third and a half way through His his three and a half year ministry at this point. We are going to see that every training from now on is a training for the twelve to prepare them for what's to come. And it's remarkable training, and we'll look at it Within that context of how does he do training. Even the way he casts out demons will change. Because he's teaching them something. The way he deals with things will change. Because this is the mystery kingdom. In the new kingdom. This is how you are to move. This is what's going to happen. Now we're in this amazing teaching period. Uh, uh, of, of this part of the life of Jesus. And we'll pick up on this next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Your word is so good. Lord, thank you for what you let the disciples go through. As it was a teaching to them, it is a teaching also to us. Father, I pray for these young people that you would so cause them to learn from the things that they go through, to learn how you will sustain them, to learn how you will see them through. Father, I pray for your grace to abound upon their lives. Father, draw them to You. Father, work in their lives. And Lord, as we go through the ministry of Jesus and how He is now teaching about how they must operate in the mystery kingdom, how to do ministry, Father, I pray that we would learn from this. Father, continue to open up their hearts. Make them open to You in the name of Jesus. Amen.